Father, thank you that you delight to speak to us. You delight to reveal yourself to us, to show us how beautiful you are, and to cause us to fall more deeply in love with you. We ask that you do that in a fresh and powerful way in our hearts this morning. That you'd make your word practical, that we would walk out of here to be able to live a Christian life in your strength. Thank you, Father, so much. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I was a very annoying little brother. I was seven and a half years younger than my older brother, and some of you remember some stories where I've told that I tried everything possible to get my brother's attention. In fact, I figured out a trick one time. My brother at this point was a teenager, and he had gotten a razor for the very first time. He got it for Christmas. He was super excited because now he was going to be able to shave, and he was a real man. Some of you guys remember what that was like? Your first chance to shave, you get so excited about it. Well, he was in the bathroom, and he was shaving, and I thought, he never gives me the attention that I want. Really, I think he did. I was just a needy child who was very annoying little brother that wouldn't be fun to be around. But I thought, how could I get my brother's attention? I want to get a, if, if, if any attention possible, even if it's negative attention, I'm going to impress him right now. So he was there. He's in the bathroom calmly. My brother is a very, very calm person. He was there looking in the mirror, shaving. And as he's shaving, I walk in. He doesn't even acknowledge that I walk into the room. But I walk into the room and I go over by the bathtub and I begin to look in the mirror and I begin to do something that I had learned. I had learned that if I held my breath and I bared down really hard, that pretty soon my face would begin to turn really bright red. So I kept doing that and every once in a while I'm looking over at my brother. Brother's not looking at me. I'll keep going until it gets brighter red and brighter red and brighter red. The next thing I knew, I woke up in the bottom of the bathtub. And my brother, he was still shaving. I don't even think he paused to look and see what I was up to and what had happened. Was his brother dead? He didn't even notice. I was trying to get his attention by holding my breath. Last week we talked about how God has this passion to share this fellowship that is between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this holy trinity that has existed throughout eternity together as God. And yet he decided to create so that he could pull you and I into that same fellowship. Remember Genesis chapter 1 we looked at last week. Let's look at the verse again. Genesis 1 and verse 26. Then God said, let us, he's talking, there's this conversation that God is having, this delightful conversation, we're told in Proverbs chapter 8, that that he delighted in his creation. He's having this exciting time. Hey, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God wanted for you to experience the delightful fellowship that he had experienced throughout eternity because God is, what did we say? What did 1 John 4 verse 8 say? God is love. And it took three in order to have love throughout eternity, but it wasn't enough. And we saw in John chapter 17 that that Jesus said, Father, I want for them to be 
where I am, that they could be with me so that they could behold the glory that I've had with you throughout eternity because you loved me before the world was. God created us for his glory to participate in, to enjoy his glory, which is the love that he shared in fellowship. Isn't it beautiful to know that that's who God is and that that's what he's designed you for? He designed you so that you could enjoy love throughout eternity, so that you could be ever growing in this experience of the love of God. That's what you were created for. That's your purpose in life. So how did he go about creating us like this? Well, Genesis chapter 1 doesn't tell us much. It just goes on to say, then God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And we looked at last week how in the book Flame of Yahweh, Richard Davidson, we're not going to put the whole quote up, but just part of it, he says this, the image of God is primarily a relational concept. Ultimately, we do not reflect God's image on our own, but in relationship. That's the picture that it was a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who decided to create so that you and I could experience that same love, so that love could be multiplied. That's the joy of God in creating. But here it doesn't tell us how did he create us in his image? How did he go about that? But look over in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1 gives us one picture of creation. Genesis chapter 2 describes it just from a, a different perspective, highlighting different aspects and features of what God did. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. This is a phenomenal verse if you really think about what God is describing here. He comes near and he begins to craft the human body. Now, I don't have nearly the appreciation for this that some of you do. Some of you have been in anatomy and physiology classes. Some of you have actually dissected cadavers and you understand what the human body is like. Some of you have done surgeries on human beings and and you understand the beauty, the complexity of the human body. Imagine God as he gently and carefully and meticulously puts all of the facets and features together of that perfect man, Adam, as he forms him there in the dust. And then it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This is a a fascinating thing to, to think about what is taking place here in order for a being to suddenly become a conscious being. In order for all of the the physiological processes to happen happen in the body. But not only that, scientists are astounded to think about what all is entailed in humanity, in who we are as human beings. I want to introduce you to a a guy by the name of Robert Jastrow. Robert Robert Jastrow was, was the founding, I should say, director of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, He was a professor at Columbia University. He's a director emeritus of the Mount Wilson Observatory. He passed away uh, a decade or so ago. I want to, through the eyes of somebody who knows science extremely well, who was part of popularizing science, he's a very well-read author. A lot of people have read his books. I want to introduce to you, through his eyes, how he sees the consciousness of a human being. So go ahead and play this video. It's just a short video clip with Robert Jastrow describing the immense complexity 
of human consciousness. Life is so extraordinary, especially advanced life, intelligent life. Conscious beings are such an extraordinary phenomenon that, again, I just qualitatively find it difficult to believe that they happened by chance. Think of your brain, for example. It's three pounds of matter, contains a million trillion synapses, as I recall. Circuits opening and closing all the time. It's so much more complicated than the most advanced artificial intelligence. Again, I find it hard to believe that this is all a matter of atoms and molecules. And so I try to fit into my concept of the world the uh, conclusion that there is a larger force of some kind, which we can call God or you can call it whatever. But I can't accept that. I'm uh, what's called a materialist in philosophy. But that doesn't mean I like Cadillacs and big cars. My students always used to think that. It means that I believe the world consists entirely of material substances. And when you specify those substances, the atoms and molecules, and the laws by which they interact, you've done it all. There isn't anything more to be said or inserted into your model of the universe. That's what my science tells me. I'm, you know, I've been a scientist all my life, but I find it unsatisfactory. In fact, it makes me uneasy. I feel I'm missing something, but it will not, uh, I will not find out what I'm missing within my lifetime. Within my lifetime, he ends. Isn't that heartbreaking? To see somebody who has studied the universe, who's studied science, and he looks at humanity, he looks at consciousness, he looks at what you and I are enjoying in this moment of interacting, of, of seeing people, and uh, of having relationships, and he says, there's got to be something more to this, more than just atoms and protons and particles. There's something else going on here. But I just can't put my finger on what it is. It just doesn't fit with my agnosticism of not understanding the universe. You see, we were created in the image of God. Reality isn't merely just about atoms and forces, gravitational forces, and all of these different things. Reality involves relationship. Because the foundational truth that we know about God, we, we can't see what God is like. We, we can't give you a a picture of what God is like, but we know what God's character is like. And God's character can be boiled down to three simple words. God is love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is the glory that they shared throughout eternity. This is the glory that they invite us into. And this is what they created us to enjoy. God had this conversation and said, I want to join this group of people. I want, to, I want to multiply this love. I want to invite others into this fellowship. That was the goal. That was what God had in mind. That reality would be fundamentally based on relationship. There's a professor, Millard J. Erickson. We've looked at this before. He says this, if reality is fundamentally physical, then the primary force binding it together is electromagnetic. Does that make sense? If reality is just physical, then it's just based on the, the atoms and gravitational forces, electromagnetic forces that are, are holding everything together. But on the other hand, if, however, reality is fundamentally social, then the most powerful constituting force is that which binds persons together, namely love. God is love. Colossians tells us that in Him, all things hold together. 
Acts chapter 17 says that in Him we live and move and have our being. There's something special that's going on here. When God breathes into Adam, there's something more than just the physical designing of a human being and breathing oxygen into his lungs. Can we say that that's true here just looking at this? I mean, let's look at that verse again. Genesis chapter 2. When God forms man in the dust, so we know that He creates this body in the dust, and then He breathes into the nostrils. What does it say He breathed into the nostrils? The breath of life. It's not just oxygen. And you know this, that you can't go to a body that's been dead for an extended period of time and and just put oxygen in there and it starts the body going again. We're not capable of doing adding life to something even if we have all of the basic building blocks of life. We can't even get a single cell in order to, to come to life just by having the components of a single cell. There's something special about life. There's something bigger about life than we can comprehend. So God breathes into his nostrils. Isn't it beautiful how close he comes to Adam? The breath of life and and man became a living being. That word there, living being, is the word nephesh in the Hebrew. That's the word for soul in the Hebrew. So you have here a simple equation that happens. Dust and breath create a living being or a living soul. Does that make sense? It makes sense because we've talked about this maybe at other times and we've, we've researched this and, and as Seventh-day Adventists, this is something that we have talked about But what does that really mean? What does that really mean in that instant when Adam becomes a living being and and suddenly the eyelids flutter open and suddenly there's consciousness for the first time and he's aware of another being, God, right in front of him who's just breathed into his nostrils. He's aware of other creatures that, that he's to lovingly care for. He's aware that there's a lack and God comes and creates the woman for him so that there can be this good creation where relationship is thriving. You see that when God breathed into him the breath of life, it was to create a consciousness that that was centered on a relationship of love. Not just one relationship with God, but relationships, plural. And you see, if you go over to Job chapter 32, Job, actually we'll go to Job chapter 33, Job is wisdom literature, and a guy named Elihu who's waited to to speak in Job until towards the end of Job uh, begins finally to share, and he has some wisdom to share with Job. And part of what he shares has to do a little bit with ontology, with with our state of being, and, and how we come to a state of consciousness. Job chapter 33 and verse 4. Notice what he says. The Spirit of God has made me So what made me? The Spirit of God and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. You see here how he combines not only the breath of God, the the breath that was breathed into the nostrils, but that also there's the force of the Spirit of God who came to be a part of this picture. Again, he repeats this over in Genesis chapter 34. Verses 14 and 15. Sorry, Job chapter 34, verses 14 and 15. If he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together 
and man would return to dust. There's a simplicity in this formulation that without the Spirit, man simply returns to the dust. He simply ceases to exist. And God is saying something here. That we were created not only to be conscious beings, but to be a habitation for God Himself. Do you see that here? He's saying that the Spirit of God and the breath of God were what came together to make us into living beings. You and I were designed for fellowship on a, 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 a level that is, is beyond our comprehension, a level that is, that is so beautiful and so powerful that God said, I'm actually going to come in and I'm going to make my home in them. I want to fill them with myself. I want to fill them with the Holy Spirit. And that's how the image of God becomes a reality in Adam. That's how Adam could have this loving relationship with Eve that was unashamed, that they didn't have any barriers between them. And that is what filled Satan with envy and jealousy that drove him to possess a serpent in order to get at this image of God and to take that away at all possible costs. You see this picture of the image of God that is given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, that this is what God longs to restore in us? And you see how this was taken away so quickly when Adam took of the fruit of the tree and Eve and they ate of it? What happened immediately after that? How was their relationship? It was good? Not good. Yeah, it wasn't so good anymore. They're immediately blaming each other. They're blaming God. They're pointing fingers. There's... All kinds of angst has entered into their lives because they have neglected to cultivate that love that God had instilled in them. And they have handed themselves over to another ruler. Just like the serpent had allowed himself to be possessed, now they have allowed this world to come under the rulership of another ruler. Paul later calls him the God of this world. But we see later on that Paul, as he's talking about what we were designed for, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 says that we were specifically designed for a purpose, that our bodies have a purpose, that God wants to do something special with them. Verse 2 Corinthians, oh sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians. It says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? God's purpose is to take up a residence in you and I so that we can experience the glory that was that fellowship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout eternity. And He did that with Adam by breathing into him the breath of life and filling him with the Holy Spirit. And the good news is that God wants to restore the same experience into our lives because you look at the New Testament as it begins, and you start in John chapter 1. How does John chapter 1 begin? Does anybody know? In the beginning. Why do you think John would start his gospel saying, in the beginning? That's how the entire Bible started. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John, reframing history now around the person of Jesus Christ, says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And we talked about last week how it says the Word was with God and the Word was God, so it was God with God creating in this time. That it was this fellowship that created in this time. John chapter 1 recapitulates what 
creation is like in the person of Jesus Christ. You see him doing it very intentionally. Right after he talks about God creating in the beginning, then he talks about there being darkness, and then there being light. And he goes through talking about how God's going to recreate all of us in the image of God. Just look at first John, or John chapter 1, and we'll look down at a few verses here in John chapter 1. Verse 14, talking about how God creates this image in man again. John, 14, John 1 verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That God became flesh. He came down and actually became dust. Just like you and I. It's a mystery of mystery, the incarnation. To know that the God of the universe would empty Himself to such an extent that He would come down and take on human flesh. Because He loved you that much that He couldn't stand the picture of being without you throughout eternity. And He said, Father, I want for them to be with me. Let's recreate them in our image. Let's do whatever it takes so they could be recreated in our image. Verse 16, And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. And it, He goes on to tell us that, uh, actually it was a few verses earlier, but He tells us that He came to give us power to become sons of God. The purpose is that, that our original ideal of being created in the image of God could be restored in Jesus Christ. And then Jesus goes on to experience this in his own person. If you go down to a verse where John the Baptist is talking in verse 32, John 1 and verse 32, it says, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, This is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John was told that when the Holy Spirit descends on a person and you see the Holy Spirit staying on that person, when you see the image of God in a person again, when you see this fullness of divinity in human flesh, that's the One. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When did this take place? When did the outpouring of the Holy Spirit take place? This outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it did take place at Pentecost. But this one that John's talking about, this took place at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus was there. He was in the water. He was baptized. He came up out of the water. And as he was praying, the Gospels tell us that the Holy Spirit came down on him. Do you remember what we talked about two weeks ago? We talked about how the Holy Spirit was moving over the face of the waters that it was formless and void, that there was a lack in creation. And it was through the Spirit that God began to say, let there be light. And God began to create through the Holy Spirit being present there along with the Father, Son. They they did this together. Turn over to John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night asking him, to basically reveal how it is that he does all of these incredible things that he's doing. Because Jesus is living out what God originally intended. He now has dominion over this planet like Adam originally was supposed to have. 
He now is able to tell storms to be still. He's able to tell leprosy to leave human beings. He's able to heal the blind. He's able to do all of these miraculous and beautiful things. And Nicodemus is awed by this because he's a, a, he's a rabbi. He says, how are you able to live this type of life? And Jesus gives him the secret. In verse 3, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, unless they have a new life, unless something brand new takes place inside of them, they can't see the kingdom of God. And how does this take place? He goes on to explain it to him in verse 5. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see how this is referencing back to creation. You had the Spirit of God that was moving over the waters. And here Jesus is saying, unless one is born of both the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel to, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In the New Testament, the word for wind is the same word for breath, for spirit. It's the word pneuma. You might have heard of pneumatics. It's the idea that we use in our, many of our Greek words for for anything having to do with rushing wind. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So I want you to do something this morning. I want for you to take a deep breath and hold your breath, but don't do it quite yet, okay? Because I'm going to take out a timer here. And I want you to raise your hand and keep your hand raised until you are done holding your breath, Okay? So no hyperventilating here. We're just going to go ahead and do it on the count of three. You ready? Everybody raise your hands. That's going to participate. Good. All right. Very good. All right. On the count of three, take a deep breath. One, two, three. All right. Now no cheating. No breathing through your nose. Right? You're at three seconds. You're going to be okay. Now just keep doing that. Do you know what begins to take place in your body as you hold your breath? And we could have some of you who are doctors here maybe explain some of the physiology of what takes place. But as time begins to go by, you begin to lack oxygen, you begin to have some, some problems, and time could go on that, that some of you might be able to hold your breath for over a minute. We're only at 30 seconds at this point. How are you feeling? How badly do you want air at this point? It's only been 30 seconds, well, sorry, 40 seconds now. I know you probably don't want me to cut anything off. I still see some hands raised. This is pretty good. 45, 46. Just think about the angst that you are feeling right now desiring oxygen. Think about how little you take each breath for granted. Think about, think about how little you appreciate each breath that you take. Did you know that you take about 19,000 breaths every single day? How many of you plan out when you're going to take your breaths during the day? We have any super type A personalities? No. Sorry, I'm not meaning to distract from those of you that are still holding your breath. We still have some going. We're at a minute and 21 seconds. Wow, this is, this is phenomenal, I must say. 
But you breathe all day long, in and out, freely taking in oxygen, and it's like second nature to you. Except for when you stop breathing, then you suddenly begin to notice that something is wrong. We're at a minute and 38 seconds. Wow, we have two holdouts. This is pretty exciting. (laughs) Now, we don't want anybody to die. I have to tell you a story. I have to tell you a story. One time, oh, Ralph's done. All right, I think David is our winner. Officially our winner, right around two minutes, 155. I'm sure he could have kept going. (laughs) There was one time where I did this. I was in the front row. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I missed. Were you still going? Are you sure? Okay. Well, David, you can, you can split the prize with Keelan later on. <clears throat> One time I was sitting in the front and somebody did this as an exercise and I immediately lifted up and I held my breath and within 15 seconds I passed out. I have no idea why, but something to do with all the oxygen and, and sitting up from bending over, I don't know what happened. Oxygen is important, isn't it? To breathe gives life to our bodies. God breathed into us the breath of life, and it was more than just oxygen, but it was so that you and I could experience the delightful fellowship that comes from God. Look at what it says in uh, the magazine, I believe it is, Review and Herald, if I can get it pulled up here. Review and Herald in 1899, it says, the Holy Spirit is the breath of life in the soul. The breathing of Christ upon the disciples was the breath of true spiritual life. The disciples were to interpret this as imbuing them with the attributes of their Savior that in purity and faith and obedience they might exalt the law and make it honorable. God's law is the expression of His character. By obedience to its requirements, we meet God's standard of character. Thus the disciples were to witness for Christ. You know what this is referring to here? Do you remember what happened later on in Christ's ministry? As Christ was baptized, He was filled with the Spirit. He went on through His ministry for three and a half years, walking among men as one who loved them more than anybody had loved them before. One who lived according to the law in such a way that at the end He could say, I've kept my Father's commandments. And nobody could condemn Him for anything that He had done wrong. One who had perfectly represented that God is love in human flesh. And then he went all the way to the cross, and he was there on the cross. Do you remember what happened? Let's go to John chapter 19. In John chapter 19, as Jesus is on the cross, he describes what takes place in, John, in, in Jesus' physical experience there on the cross. Verse 30, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. You remember what God said at the end of creation? It's good. It's complete. It's finished. Jesus at this point has perfectly completed the life of righteousness that you and I were supposed to live. And He lived it for you. He was righteous so that you could have His righteousness. But not only that, the verse continues, and bowing His head, He gave up His spirit. Jesus gave up His Spirit. He gave up His, the word is pneuma, His breath. He gave it up so that you could breathe. And yet so often, we hold our breaths. So often we see how long we can go without the Spirit of God. 
So often we neglect to, to invite Him to come and to fill us with more and more of the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus went to the cross, so that the image of God could be restored in you, so that you could have this life in yourself, which was in Him. Jesus then, when He finds His disciples in John chapter 20, after He appears to them in in the room, He comes to them, and He specifically breathes on them to give them the Holy Spirit. See if we can find this verse really fast. John chapter 20 and verse 29. Uh, Sorry. A few verses before that. John chapter 20 and verse 22. John chapter 20 and verse 22. And when he had said this, Jesus shows up in the room there. The disciples are awed that there he shows up. He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Imagine what that moment was like for the disciples. They're sitting there in the room. They're in awe. Here's Jesus. He'd gone to the cross. He was in the tomb. He was resurrected. And here he is. He's in our midst. And all of a sudden, he's just like, And I imagine there was no amount of bad breath at this point. He was the resurrected in his uh, incorruptible body at this point. But he was breathing on them to give them that picture of the God who comes close to you. The God who wants to come and breathe into your nostrils the breath of life. So that you can become a living being. Not just somebody who walks around, but somebody who loves like God loves. And this is tough. Because it's easy to talk about love when it's talking about your girlfriend, your wife, your newborn child. But what about when that newborn child keeps you awake at night for months on end? What about when that marriage begins to take a downward course and your wife is treating you selfishly? How do you continue to love at that point? What about at work when things don't go quite the way that you expect that they should with your boss? To have love at that point takes something more. It takes the Spirit of God living in us, renewing the image of God in us. Let's go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, Paul describing this to Titus. He's telling him to encourage the people of God to pursue this experience of being filled with the Spirit. And as he talks to him, he reminds him of the way that he once lived. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, Do you remember some foolish days in your life? I remember some choices that I made that now that I think back on it, it hurt a lot of people. There was a lot of choices that I made that that even misled people, that gave them a bad picture of God, and I, I wish that I could take those choices back. We were disobedient. We weren't really following God's law of love. At one point, this is the way we are. We were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. Last week we talked about how the God of this world has blinded people from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel. Serving various lusts. You know, the Spirit comes and He works in such a way to woo and to draw. What was the form that John the Baptist saw come down on Jesus? A dove. 
Have you ever had a bird come and land on you? How easy is it to scare that bird away? Now, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is scared, but the picture is of this delicate union that comes down that needs to be cherished, that needs to be appreciated, that needs to be a constant, continual awareness in order for it to continue. One time I was in Hawaii, and this guy had these birds, had these big parrots, and he, he had them all jump on you and like put their wings out, and I just stood as stiff as a board while my mom got a picture of me. I was about 10 years old. Had all these parrots out, and to have birds on you, you have to stand still or else they're going to fly away. The Holy Spirit is a powerful, infinite, omnipotent force who is also selfless love and who will not force himself on you, who will not force you to go in the path of righteousness, who won't push you in that direction, but who wants for you to invite him to come and to lead you in paths of righteousness. So serving various lusts and pleasures, you think about when the enemy comes in on the other hand, on the one hand, we're created to be a temple for God. But in the end, Revelation chapter 18 and verse 2 tells us that people will become a habitation of demons. We have the choice to be inhabited of by one party or the other. Will we choose the path of love or will we choose the path of force, coercion, and the path that serving various lusts, being slave to these things and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Is this a picture of our world today? Is this a picture of politics today? Is this a picture of our world relations today? This is the way our world has become because we've neglected to ask, to be filled with the Spirit, to surrender to His will and His way, which is revealed in Scripture, in His law of love. Thankfully, it doesn't stop there. Verse 4 continues, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared. You can't surrender to somebody who doesn't love you. You can't surrender to somebody that you don't know. You can't surrender except for through kindness and love. But when we see the kindness and the love, when we recognize that this is who the Holy Spirit is, that, that God, every good gift is given through God, that the Holy Spirit has nothing but good intentions for your life, then it enables us to begin to say, okay, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to allow you to fill me with the breath of life. I want to allow you to recreate this image in me. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Jesus is the one who accomplished it all already. But according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration. That's the picture of water, the baptism, being identified with, with Christ's death and renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's through the renewing power of the Holy Spirit that everything begins to change in our lives. In the Review and Herald, July 19, 1898, it says, Christ came to our world to restore the moral image of God and man. He takes human agents into co-partnership with Himself, giving them the breath of His own Spirit, the life of His own life. God wants to give you life. Not just life in a physical sense, but life that involves His commandments, which are to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, and to love the people around you as, you as Christ has loved you. None who breathe the breath of God receiving the Holy Spirit from Him can be indifferent in regard to the welfare 
of others. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it begins to stir in us these emotions of love for God and love for people. And we begin to care and pull people in. We begin to look out for the disenfranchised. We begin to care about that person on the corner and what's been going on in their life. We begin to want to reach out in ways that we've never reached out before. And we have the capacity to do it. We have the strength to do it. Because it's not us doing it anymore. But it is Christ working in us. That's what Paul goes on to tell Titus whom He poured out on us, verse 6, abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then verse 8, notice this. This is a faithful saying. These things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. God has the purpose to renew in you and I the Holy Spirit, so that good works become the fruit of what He accomplishes in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Deborah Ann was going through an extremely difficult time in her life. In fact, she was at the point of isolation. She was at the point of wanting to commit suicide. Of all the hopeless places to be, that may be one of the most hopeless. And if you're there this morning, I just want you to know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.5 5 says that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. If you're going through something like that this morning, please come talk to me or somebody. Pray with somebody. There is hope in Jesus. As she was there and she was struggling with suicide, the reason she was struggling with this had to do with her relationship with her father. For years and years growing up, her father had been extremely abusive to the family. If he didn't neglect them, then he was abusing them. In fact, their discipline was so severe that if they had bad table manners, I believe it was, I heard the story from her son, they had bad table manners, he would get out a hammer and he would hit their fingers with a hammer. Constantly under different types of abuse. And some of you may have gone through that in your life. You may know the agony of what she went through in her life. Physical, emotional abuse. She thought that she'd gotten past this. She was a Christian. She lived in the church for years. And then one day, her, her father, she hadn't been connected with him. He'd been in the hospital. He'd been going through some stuff. And suddenly she gets a phone call from her dad. And her dad calls her to apologize for the things that he had done to her growing up. And you would think that that would bring healing in that moment. But in that moment, instead of bringing healing for Deborah Ann, it began to reawaken in her mind all of those thoughts and all of the bitterness, and she realized how much she actually just hated her father. And she was at this moment of complete hopelessness, ready to, to, to commit suicide. She went on the revivalandreformation.org website, a great website with lots of resources. And as she went on there, she found the book that we talked about last week, Steps to Personal Revival. There's a PDF copy of it. I can put the website up there again. There's a PDF copy of it online, or we have them in the lobby. But as she saw that book, she said, well, maybe I should give that book a chance. And she began to read this book. And as she read this book, it began to tell her about the need to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit each and every day in your life. And as she began to pray for that, everything began to change. She said, although I'd been a Christian all my life, I suddenly found hope. I suddenly found meaning in my Bible study. I finally was beginning to experience a real relationship with Jesus. 
And her son was in tears as he told this story, saying, I had no idea my mom was going through this. But now I can't wait to experience that on a deeper level myself. Friends, many of us are holding our breath. It's time that we breathe. It's time that we ask constantly and continually for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If we have to breathe 19,000 times during the day, why not ask for the Holy Spirit 20,000 times? Because we need it more desperately than we need the air that we breathe. Many of you have been uh, blessed by reading and praying for the Holy Spirit. I've already heard testimonies from you, but I wanted to specifically invite Ron to come up and share a story that he just told with me this morning. I'm thankful that he's willing to, to come and share it with us today, but an inspiring story of what God did for him this week. Hi, good morning. Maybe some of you don't know me. My name is Ron Chalker, and, and I've been brought up in the church, been going to uh, universities, the best uh, our church offers, academies, and I've learned about the Bible. I've learned uh, about the importance of prayer, the importance of unity of prayer, the importance of sharing, the importance of fellowshipping like we are today, and, and our prayer meeting, how it's been inspiring. But I'm still learning. And this book on personal revival, I was, I was uh, advised to read chapters 4 and 5, and I was reading chapter 1, 2, 3, and I thought, okay, when it gets to 4 and 5, it should be pretty good. Well, uh, it just so happened this week I had a, a problem with uh, some management at uh, the office where I have. And uh, there's another dentist, and there's an office manager, and there's 10 women on the staff, and, and things weren't going very smoothly, and, and I was uh, getting upset. And I, I needed to calm down, and I knew I needed God to help me. And so after reading this chapter 4, it talked about the importance of daily asking for the Holy Spirit. And I know I've I believe I've been born again. I believe I've asked for the Holy Spirit. I believe God has, has, has come near to me in many ways throughout my life. But I realized I have not been asking for the Holy Spirit to fill me every day. I realized I had not surrendered my life to Him every day. And this week I really needed it. And so after I read this book, <clears throat> uh, chapter 4, I went to work, and I had to have a staff meeting and had to work out some problems. And normally I'd be maybe resentful or angry what had happened, and this time I just felt a peace. I Amen. just felt the Amen. peace of God with me. And we could discuss some issues that needed to be discussed in a way that was not offensive, a way that was uplifting, that was reconciling. And it just kind of brought the whole peace of God in the whole building. And so I just want to encourage you that if you're going through a struggle, you just remember, you know, it's not just praying, it's not just, you know, sharing, it's not just going to church, it's a daily surrender to Jesus and asking that spirit to come in. He said that our bodies are the, the temple. Do we know you now that your bodies are the temple of God? Well, the Spirit of God wants to live within us and be with us personally. And just like the pastor said, breathing in the air, if we could just breathe in the Holy Spirit, what a change our life would be. So I just encourage you to, if you haven't read the book yet, pick up the book, and especially like pastor said, chapter 4 and 5 are amazing. So hang in there and get to the chapter. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing, Ron. Honestly, it's not about a book, although that book has been a rich blessing to my life. I'm finishing my sixth time reading it myself, and it's just reminded me of this vitally crucial topic of praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
But as you pray for the Holy Spirit, don't get disappointed when things don't change in an instant. How did Jesus describe it? He said, the wind blows where it wills. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. But what do you, what do you know? What do you see? You know what he says? You see the effects of it. When you begin to notice things like Ron's talking about, that, hey, during my day I had peace when normally I wouldn't. I had the fruit of the Spirit in my life at a time when it's not normally the case. That's what you're going to begin to notice. You're going to begin to pinpoint areas where, oh, even though I don't see the Spirit physically, even though I don't necessarily feel this ah moment, the Spirit is changing me from the inside out and I'm being renewed to be loving just like my Father in Heaven is loving. Final appeal from the book, The Upward Look, a little devotional book. It says this, I beseech the members... I beseech the members in every church to seek now for the greatest blessing heaven can bestow, the Holy Spirit. Seek for that greatest possible blessing to have God living in you. And then it goes on to say, if in faith you ask for a greater measure of God's Spirit, you will be constantly taking it in and breathing it out. Breathing it in and breathing it out. Daily you will receive a fresh supply. Daily your experience will be enriched by the rich current of God's love. Friends, breathe in the Spirit and breathe out the Spirit throughout the day. Constantly open your heart and ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you with His love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, here we are. We are are so far removed from that picture of what you had designed us to be in Genesis chapter 2. We've become so hateful, filled with envy and malice, serving lust, just like Paul described to Titus. But God, we want to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. We want to be filled with a selfless, other-centered love. We want to put the people around us first. We want to have the strength to be able to love people at the end of a long day when we're exhausted. We want to have the strength to wake up in the morning when our baby's crying and to have joy in our hearts as we get to love them and serve them. Lord, we want to have the joy in our hearts to be able to give to the people in need around us. Oh Jesus, would You restore Your image in us? Would You come and live in us? Would You live out Your life in us? Father, help us as often as we take in a breath to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.